1: Think about how you live, say, 15 years ago, maybe 20 years ago. Computers were just being introduced to the average Joe and Jane.
2: ENIAC was revolutionary in being the first large-scale, general-purpose, electronic, digital computer ever built.
1: We didn't have any Facebook. There was no Twitter. There was no Instagram, no Snapchat. And if you were using your phone and somebody tried to call you, oh my gosh, they would get a busy signal. And if you weren't home, well they would leave you a message on your answering machine.
3: Hello, please leave a message after the tone.
1: Boy, I'll tell you, times have changed, right? Technology has made its way into every aspect of our lives.
4: Cellular phones not only are becoming less expensive, they're getting smaller. One piece, handheld. Not car phones, street phones. It's a quantum leap, and we are introducing a product today that takes us exactly there, and that product is called iPod iMac, iBook, iPod. Today, today Apple is going to reinvent the
1: phone. Computer scientists say we haven't seen anything yet. Technology is growing at a faster pace than ever before. We will make more advances in the next few years than we did in the past 10 years. The last 50 years have brought us so much change in the world of technology. I bet you that we've experienced more change than previous couple of centuries. And it doesn't seem like there's any slowing down. I mean, think about what we've seen in just the last decade. We've had electric cars, self-driving cars, augmented reality, virtual reality, genetic engineering, 3D printing. Who would have ever thought that was possible? And smartphones, I know, whether you love them or you hate them, they're here to stay. And the list certainly goes on and on. The exponential growth of modern technology was first identified in 1965 by a guy named Gordon Moore. And here's a little fun fact. He was actually the co-founder of Intel, the company that invented the microchip. Well, that year, over 50 years ago, he wrote an article in which he described what would eventually become known as Moore's Law. In 2015, Intel produced a video to celebrate the 50th anniversary of Moore's Law. In
4: 1965, when mainframe computers were just beginning to use integrated circuits, Gordon E. Moore published an article in Electronics Magazine in which he predicted a very bright future for the computing industry. By tracking the evolution of integrated circuits to date, Moore predicted that the number of transistors in a dense integrated circuit would continue to grow exponentially. This observation became known as Moore's Law.
0: The message I was trying to get across was that integrated circuits were the road to less expensive electronics. It really evolved from being a measure of what goes on in the industry
4: to something that more or less drives the industry. If you compare the first microprocessor, Intel's 4004, to today's 14 nanometer processor, performance is now 3,500 times higher. Energy efficiency is improved 90,000 times, and the price per transistor has fallen by over 60,000 times. If automotive technology had progressed at the same rate, cars would go almost 300,000 miles per hour, get over 2 million miles per gallon, and cost only 4 cents. No other technology
0: that I can identify has made progress at that rate, nor has any had such a profound effect on the society throughout the world. And certainly in 1965, I would not have predicted the kind of products we make today. They're
4: spectacular. Moore's Law has driven Intel and the industry to make the impossible possible and to completely transform computing to create amazing experiences.
0: The potential is there for this change to continue, and I'm continually amazed at where it seems to be going. Just remember, whatever has been done can be outdone.
1: Gordon Moore predicted that the number of transistors on an integrated circuit was doubling every 18 months. And that specific prediction has held true to this day, although some people are saying that Moore's law is outdated it can still be applied to almost all modern technology. Exponential growth is complicated. It's very difficult to get your head around because most people tend to be linear thinking. So the full implication of what Moore was talking about can be pretty hard to understand. So let's look at something else. Let's look at the inventor and futurist, Ray Kurzweil. He's something of an evangelist for exponential growth. While speaking at a conference, he explained why it's so profound.
3: Unless you've really studied the the trajectory of technology, you can be an expert in the technology, but unless you've studied the progression of technology, you won't realize this because it's not intuitive. And you might wonder, well, how, how different is that? Well, our intuition about the future is linear. It goes like this, one, two, three, four. An exponential progression—that's a reality, not of everything, not of every technology, but specifically of, of information technology—goes 2, 4, 8, 16. That doesn't sound that different, except by the time you get to step 30, the linear progression, our intuition, is at 30; the exponential progression is at a billion. And this is not an idle a, a projection of the future. This. Uh, computer I have here on my belt is several billion times more powerful per constant dollar than the computer I used when I was a student at MIT. It's a million times cheaper It's several thousand times more powerful. That's a several billion fold increase in price performance. It's a hundred thousand times smaller. We'll do both of those things again in the next 25 years. This will be again at least a billion times more powerful for the same cost. It'll be 100,000 times smaller, it'll be the size of a blood cell. It gives you some idea of what will be feasible. And it's not just computation. It's every form of information technology. And certainly document capture and document processing and document management and intelligent understanding of the information documents is a pure information technology and has been progressing uh, exponentially ever since it evolved uh, and will continue to do so. So the paradigms will change very quickly. Every time price performance reaches a certain point, whole new applications become feasible. I saw the, the web, which was called the ARPANET in the early 80s. It was tying together a few thousand scientists progressing exponentially and predicted that there would be a worldwide web connecting hundreds of millions of people to each other and to vast knowledge resources emerging in the late 90s. People thought that was ridiculous when the whole defense budget could only tie together a few thousand scientists, but that is what happened. That's the power of exponential growth. I predicted we would need search engines by that time because the amount of information on the web would be too vast to find anything otherwise, and that the price performance of computing and communications and memory would be sufficient to support a search engine in the late 90s.
1: Kurzweil's predictions about what will happen over the next 30 years might sound crazy, might sound ludicrous. Talking about super-intelligent machines and nanobots in our bloodstream. Well, those are just two examples. But it's not crazy. It's not ludicrous. It's actually happening right now. Kurzweil's specific predictions may fall short, but the general principle of exponential growth in technology, well, it's undeniably true. And that means he needs to just buckle up and get ready for the ride. Because every year, numerous institutes predict the next breakthrough. We're talking about technologies that are on the cusp of change, and they're going to disrupt our lives forever. And in this Commando On Demand podcast, oh my gosh, you're just going to love it. We're going to look at a few examples on this year's list of technological marvels, and I'm going to add a few of my own. So get ready. We're going to step into the future. And by the way, speaking of these Commando On Demand podcasts, If you're not already getting each and every one delivered right to your phone, your tablet, your computer, whatever device you're holding lately, you really should. Whether you use Apple iTunes or Google Play, just hit subscribe. And this way you get them automatically delivered to you, even when you're sleeping. Now that's a technological marvel.
5: boldly go where
2: no one has gone before.
1: When you start sifting through the next breakthroughs of technology, your mind may wander towards, say, the sci-fi world of Star Trek. It's a tad odd how a low budget program that started in the 1960s has influenced modern technology. I mean, think about this. The original flip phone design was based on Captain Kirk's communicator, yes. Yes. And this year, a bunch of companies are working to make yet another Trek staple a reality. Are you ready for it? It's the Universal Translator.
5: The Universal Translator is coming online, sir.
3: Ugly, ugly, giant, bags of mostly water.
2: Bags of mostly water? An
4: accurate description of humans, sir. You are over 90% water surrounded by a flexible container.
1: The vision of a universal translator is a powerful one. Breaking down linguistic barriers has the ability to usher in a whole new age of global communications. And last year, Google was the latest company to try and build a so-called universal translator. I don't know if you heard about these Pixel Buds, but just crazy technology. Wireless headphones from Google, built to compete with Apple's AirPods. But the Pixel Buds come with this very unique feature that was unveiled at the company's recent developer conference. An English-speaking Google employee was joined on stage by a co-worker who speaks Swedish.
3: Isabel is going to speak Swedish into her Pixel Buds, and I'll hear the English translation out of Pixel 2's front speakers. And then I'll respond in English, and she'll hear the Swedish translation in her Pixel Buds. To illustrate this today, you'll hear both sides of the conversation. Hey Isabel, how's it going?
0: Hey Isabelle, hur är läget? She's okay, thank
3: you. Absolutely okay, thank
2: you. Uh, oh. What do you think of these cool new headphones?
3: Vad tycker du om de här coola nya hörlurarna? Mitt team designade dem, så them, so I think they're pretty cool. My
5: so I think cool.
1: The Pixel Buds leverage the power of Google Translate to listen, translate, and playback conversations in two different languages almost instantly. And I know what you're thinking, if only we had this for a lot of husbands and wives' conversations, then maybe we wouldn't have so many divorces. Now, Google's not the only company working on this technology. A few years ago, Microsoft, they actually own Skype, a lot of people don't realize that, but they debuted a similar feature.
0: Good afternoon, Melanie, how are you? Aber nach neuen Melanie, wie geht es dir?
5: Mir geht es gut. Wie geht es dir?
3: Well, how is it me, friends?
0: Sorry, Melanie, say that again. Melanie, sag das nochmal.
5: Mir geht es gut. Wie geht es I
3: dir? I am well. How are you doing?
1: As you could hear in that last example, these technologies are far from perfect. When you start looking at the reviews of both online, the Pixel Buds and the Skype Translator, well, the reviews are mixed at best. There's a whole bunch of problems in translations when someone's trying to have a normal back and forth conversation. And I have to tell you, just using Google Translate, the app typing in your questions or phrases, it works much better at this point. But the promises of these technologies are huge. And over the next five to 10 years, the error rate will get much better. The idea of speaking with anyone, anywhere on the globe, in your native language, it will become a reality. Okay, the next breakthrough technology. It's been lectured and written about endlessly for years. I'm talking about the smart city. The model of a digitally connected city that is constantly being monitored. It's been the stuff of Hollywood movies for decades. Just think of Blade Runner with Harrison Ford, Minority Report with Tom Cruise. In case you haven't noticed, the smart city is no longer relegated to the imagination of Hollywood. The prototype for a connected, digitally managed, and surveilled city exists right now. It's in a place called Hangzhou, China. The nine million residents of Hangzhou were monitored 24 hours a day, seven days a week for over a year. Their activity on the internet, their purchases, even their movements were uploaded to a giant artificial network and database and computers built by some of China's biggest tech companies. They called it City Brain. and the system was able to manage water supplies, traffic lights, and even crowd sizes, it was hailed as this remarkable success by the Chinese government. Traffic congestion, accidents, and crime are all reportedly down. The government plans to use City Brain and other Chinese cities soon, but the Chinese aren't alone in creating this new smart city. Similar projects are already underway in both North America and in Europe. Up next in the special Commando On Demand podcast, we're going to dive deeper into the smart city debate because a lot of people are worried about this. Will the day-to-day life for the average person actually be improved? How much monitoring by the government will take place? Will things really become easier and more efficient? Or could technology actually help create greater power struggles within a society? in the end, will we be ruled by a control panel at some operational center? So stay tuned as we examine what has started in one of the biggest cities in the Northern Hemisphere. You will be surprised.
3: We have an opportunity to fundamentally redefine what urban life can actually be. What we hope Torontonians will see is a place that they can be incredibly proud of. Toronto has a pulse. Toronto has a vibe to it that many other cities don't have.
0: The city is becoming quite world renowned now. And so with that comes that opportunity to lead. So I would love to see us take the reins and become that place that helps people to connect.
1: That's a snippet from a promotional video produced by a company called Sidewalk Labs. It's a subsidiary of Google, and its founding mission is to quote, develop technology to improve urban life. The company is headed by the former deputy mayor of New York City, Daniel Doktorov. Sidewalk Labs has embarked on one of the most ambitious projects to date. they signed a partnership agreement with the city of Toronto to redevelop a major piece of waterfront real estate. And Toronto is one of the largest cities in North America, with over 7 million people. The city's undeveloped waterfront, it's the perfect place for Google to experiment with new technologies. I'm talking about self-driving cars and buses and internet-connected homes. The city leaders have jumped at this opportunity to partner with Google, one of the biggest tech companies in the world. Now, I will have to tell you that not everyone is thrilled with what's happening. Big money is getting poured into the Sidewalk Labs Toronto project, but it's nearly impossible to get specifics about what they plan to do exactly. All you end up with is this impressive-sounding marketing techno jargon that you keep hearing about in their promotional videos.
4: Addressing the challenges that Toronto has requires a different way of thinking. I like the fact that Sidewalk is bringing a different approach that includes both planning and process and community and technology together, rethinking how we build cities in the 21st century. Now is the ideal time to start figuring out how do we leverage technology to make cities better. Now the technologists think, why can't we solve this quickly? Why can't it scale fast? And the urbanist knows things take time and you have to move deliberately. And it's the convergence of those two ways of thinking that can lead to really powerful outcomes. Sidewalk Labs is using technology as a way of enhancing human interaction, enhancing community, bringing us closer together, supporting the activities of our daily lives in ways that take away a lot of the barriers that separates us.
1: Bringing people together, enhancing human interaction. Who could be opposed to such noble ideas? But what does a connected city really mean in practice? Robert Cowley has a few answers to those questions. Robert is a lecturer at King's College London and a coordinator of a large research project, so-called Smart Eco-Cities in Europe and
2: China. Okay, I mean, the basic definition of a smart city is uh, to do with the ambition of using digital technology to make urban life more efficient, uh, cities more livable. Taking it slightly further, the digital vision has also sort of crept into the green city vision quite recently um, in a big way. So we got this sort of smart eco concept.
1: Robert, the debate about smart cities seemed to break down into two camps, one very positive and one very critical.
2: I'd sort of look back at the earliest commentaries on the smart city when the idea came up a few years ago, and they tended to fall into two strands. The first of which was very, very uh, celebratory. And you could think of that as quite naive. Um, The other strand was always very critical. So which do you think is more correct? Technology is always political in ways that we might not expect. I think we we do need to accept and sort of be optimistic about the potential for digital, other high-tech innovations, really to make significant positive changes to cities environmentally boosting local economies and all types of issues around livability and social sustainability.
1: That may be true, but when we hear about a city in China where every citizen's movements and activities are tracked 24-7, well, I have to tell you, Robert, that makes me
2: nervous. They're not trying to sort of set up the smart city in order to Uh, broaden democracy, or or even really to set up a free market economy. It's uh, to do with boosting their own economy, so almost to strengthen the party's power and to sort of achieve uh, urbanization the move into cities harmoniously. So
1: China's idea of a smart city may not be the same as a smart city, say, here in North America. That said, do you have any concerns about a big company like Google designing and managing an entire city neighborhood Think of all the data collection that's going to happen.
2: The earlier corporate visions of the smart city were very technocratic and frightening. But I think as it's moved into uh, ideas that local authorities have uh, in the West, they now talk the language very much of things being citizen-centric, people-centric.
1: Explain that to everyone. Exactly how well that works.
2: We don't live in China. We don't live in authoritarian countries, but let's just be alert to the way that new modes of living and new technologies might reposition us as citizens. I guess new sort of norms and values are introduced. Certain things are valorized and other things are ignored.
1: I can see why city governments are so eager to use this technology. The promise that computers can make life better, reduce Traffic congestion is appealing to anyone who ever commutes to work.
2: Yeah, I mean, we we all want things to be uh, efficient, I guess, rather than congested and dysfunctional. Um, And that's that's an appeal. And when when that's tied into potential to use resources more efficiently, it's quite appealing at a time of budget cuts.
1: But what about the plan that Sidewalk Labs has in Toronto at this point? It doesn't sound like you're completely sold on
2: it. I'm not sure that this is quite enough to do these sort of experimental projects in the hope of them scaling up. And actually, let's let's have some more significant goals in place. Let's at least try and marry this with traditional processes of institutional decision making to try and get some sort of concrete goals at the end.
1: There is no shortage of optimistic predictions about what a smart city can accomplish. We're talking about less crime, less traffic, less pollution. Does it surprise you at all that some people seem very willing to just hand over control to a big company like Google?
2: Well, I think it's slightly shocking, actually, that they see that they're intervening into areas of action which would traditionally have been planned and managed by local authorities. So the idea that these could be easily handed over to to a big tech company is, is, is clearly problematic. Um, and sorting them out isn't just a matter of a, a techno fix. So you're
1: being very cautious, but you're not opposed to the idea of a smart city. What do you think is the most important thing we should be focused on in this debate?
2: Well, the number number one thing that I'd want to do would be to get more public engagement in the whole debates around the digital future. So there, there is a sort of visibility problem Um, At the same time that you've got large corporations with lots of money and policymakers backing it all over the place.
1: There is no silver bullet for problems like overcrowding and affordable housing. I mean, technology alone can't fix those issues overnight.
2: There is lots of potential there to make cities um, easier to live in and more efficient and fun and less polluted. Um, But let's, let's also at the same time not forget about the deeper social questions. Is it enough just to make sure everyone's connected to the internet rather than thinking about some of the structural issues which which underlie it all?
1: So smart technologies are coming, likely sooner to your home than you'd expect. Artificial intelligence controlled traffic networks will reduce your commute to work. I'm talking about self-driving cars can help by cutting down the number of vehicles on the road and also the pollution they produce. The belief is that internet connected homes and apartments constructed with, I'm talking about, sustainable power and water supplies will make urban living more affordable. But you can't embrace this rapid change to the future without actually taking a look at the negatives. Are you ready to live with constant monitoring by facial recognition software connected to CCTV networks? I mean, your privacy is already diluted. Smart cities will completely abolish it. Opponents claim that allowing a big company like Google, known to do a lot of tracking and then selling advertising around it, if you'd let them take over the management of a city, it could be a real threat to democracy. So we have to keep our eye on the politicians, the companies advocating for smart cities. Change is coming so we, the people, can then help guide this transformation. Do you know what that is? That's the sound of the machine that's going to destroy manufacturing as we know it. Next on our list of breakthroughs is the 3D printer. I know they've been around for a lot of years, but in the last few years, they've become smaller and more affordable. These machines are able to create almost anything you can imagine. I'm talking about toys, shelving units, replacement parts. Even the car company Porsche, well, they're now using 3D printers to make carburetors for the older cars that they no longer make them for. And of course, there's 3D printed tools and just thousands of other objects. You can find plans for these items on the internet. Once you have the plans, they're sent to the 3D printer. And a few hours later, bingo, bango, out pops the object. If you haven't seen one in action, many local libraries actually have a 3D printer. And when you see it working, the printer head methodically moves back and forth, layering liquid plastic that quickly hardens. The process is very similar to what happens to your inkjet printer. But instead of spraying ink on a two-dimensional piece of paper, it's using plastic to create real objects. A decent 3D printer is about $1,500. The implications of this technology are profound. It is turning manufacturing on its head. And over the last year, there was another 3D printing breakthrough. Several different companies develop printers that use metal instead of plastic. One of them is called desktop metal. Hmm, makes sense. The company's promotional video describes how their production system
5: is about to change manufacturing. Metal 3D printing could change much of the world around us if it was fast enough and cheap enough for mass production. Introducing the production system, powered by single-pass jetting. At up to 100 times faster than laser-based systems, it's the first metal 3D printing solution for mass production. The production system is cloud-connected. Sophisticated software manages the entire workflow with profiles that are tuned to every build and material, from the printer to the furnace, delivering dense metal parts. The result is sheer throughput. In the time it takes laser-based processes to produce just 12 impellers, desktop metal single-pass jetting technology would have produced over 500 To date, metal 3D printing has been too expensive and too slow to change the world around us. At up to 100 times faster than existing technologies, the production system unlocks the cost per part needed for mass production. For the first time, it's possible to go to market with metal 3D printing.
1: The ability to manufacture spare parts in your home is going to have a huge impact on the economy. A cheap 3D printer in every home will allow you to download specs for a part off the internet and print it for just a few bucks. Pirated blueprints will likely be shared, just like movies and music are today. The full effect of that reality remains to be seen. But overall, what a great time to be alive. The future looks astonishing, it's exciting, and I know it's given a lot of folks anxiety. And no path to progress ever comes without problems. Yeah, I know, technology brings about fears of job security. Well, I lose my paycheck to a robot. The truth is, some of us already have, and others will in the future. But on the other hand, technology will always create future jobs. Changes in technology are moving at a breakneck speed, and our unemployment rate is less than 5%. Could you imagine living in a world without any cars or planes or the Internet? TV, dishwashers, refrigerators, Snapchat, Instagram, Twitter... I know, we could probably live without some of them. Rather than fear what lies ahead in this great technological beyond, we're just gonna step into it. And of course, we're gonna step into it cautiously. But you can't walk the other way and you can't be left behind. Don't fear the future, embrace it, help guide it. And that's why I'm here. I hope you enjoyed this Commando On Demand podcast. And if you did, can you do me a huge favor? Just really simple thing. Head over to iTunes or Google Play. And then give me a great five-star rating and a terrific review because this helps more people find our podcast.